here, a powerful time of worship and prayer here at the beginning. We thank you, Lord, for anointing and speaking through me everything that needs to be said, that it will go forth under a mighty anointing. And even now, the Holy Spirit moving upon every single person that's going to be hearing this, to give everyone the grace by the Holy Spirit, all of us, to kind of get locked in and focused, that we're not going to be distracted by things, that what God is saying to us, the Holy Spirit to help us to tune in, and that our minds will be touched by the Holy Spirit to be able to understand the Holy Spirit touching our eyes and ears, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit that we could see and hear. Maybe what we couldn't before, but now we can understand it. And our hearts to be tender and open to the Word of God, to the Holy Spirit's ministry. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me as living seeds of truth that are sown into that good soil that's prepared as the Holy Spirit has made that ready. And the Holy Spirit to water those seeds of truth that it will take root in all of us grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, let this be as a bright, shining light of truth that dispels the darkness but brings divine revelation. Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be like a hammer of the word to break, down, break through strongholds. The word of God is a sword, a double-edged sword to penetrate where it needs to go. And I thank you, Lord, for the wind of the spirit carrying this out to the nations. And it will, we stand on the promise, it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. It will not return void. And we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed, so we agree together. Lord, we submit ourselves unto God, and we resist the devil, he must flee. We submit this word unto you, and we take authority, and we bind anything right now in Jesus' name that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. Any resistance of the enemy, we command it to be bound in Jesus' name and back off. And, Lord, I thank you for your mighty angels just clearing the way that this will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to. We believe it, we expect it, and we thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. So I'm kind of following up the last two sermons. So just quickly, remember I talked about how the heavens are trying to brass over, over America, over this region. It's obvious there's a spiritual war. Um, the enemy is trying to, to make things what the enemy wants is that there's no hope for revival because he's, he's locked things up so tight. But I don't believe that's going to happen. Number one, the enemy's trying to brass the heavens. Then last week I talked about how the little G God of this world is trying to, he's blinding the minds of unbelievers. And the Bible shows us there's a war for souls. And so you can see the war over this nation and you see the war over souls and tonight, I'm going to follow up by talking about how the spiritual battle, so to speak, within us and within the church, and this is really the problem. Um, by the end of this, I'm hoping that this will come together really well and make a lot of sense by the end of this sermon. But while the enemy is trying to brass the heavens and there's a war over souls, there's places out there that are playing church. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're playing around. And they're not dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. And that's kind of where I'm coming from tonight, the danger of that. So let me open with this, and I'm going to go in different places and then bring it all together at the end by God's grace and mercy and his help. But um, we have a heritage, and I want everybody in River of Life to really value the price that's been paid. So in Topeka, Kansas, we remember Charles Parham 
and uh, Stones Folly, you've got this building, and they begin to see a move of God, begin to see the baptisms in the Holy Ghost, and he ends up in Houston teaching on it. William Seymour heard him, and William Seymour ended up moving to California, Los Angeles area, and there was a church there that he, he was preaching at, and he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't want to hear it, so they kicked him out. But he ends up, long and short of it, at, on Bonnie Bray Street among a group that was really praying for a move of God. And the Holy Spirit fell. And I don't believe it's any accident at all that God chose uh, the African Americans during a time of Jim Crow laws, okay, during a time of segregation, that God chose them to see the birth of modern-day Pentecost. And I honor them, and I'm thankful for the heritage there. But from Azusa came a mighty move of the Holy Ghost in the way of the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and the gifts. And this was something that was almost unheard of before uh, Azusa Street. Something the devil stole. And thank God that he restored it back to the church. Every major move of God around the world where people speak in tongues Every move of God can trace its roots back to Azusa Street where that, that second day of Pentecost, so to speak, God was restoring back Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Book of Acts, Biblical Christianity. But let me tell you, there was a price to be paid. The early Pentecostal pioneers faced a lot of persecution, a lot of ridicule. They were, they were people that lost their jobs because of it. Uh, they were people that were made fun of because of it. And they really had to endure some hardships so that we could enjoy Pentecost today. And how many here honor our Pentecostal spiritual moms and dads that paid a dear price for us? And I value those that have gone before me. I was so honored to have Big John Hall come here and sing a couple times. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But I remember when he was with us, you know, we had him come during the, during the Christmas time. It, it was a big lull in his schedule, and he's here in the area, so I called him up. I, you know, I just wanted him to come and, and us enjoy him and him also to enjoy being able to sing and do what he did, you know. But, man, God really came in this place in a special way, and he began to preach more than he sang, and his wife was shocked because he never did that. But he was telling old Pentecostal stories, and revivals he had been a part of and he talked about how his father was a part of the early Pentecostal movement and planted churches back in the, what the 20s and 30s etc and it was just such an honor to have him here kind of like a Pentecostal father of the faith and how he blessed us and prayed over everybody here it was awesome but I'm so thankful for those that have gone on before us and I know that um, for example we had you know brother Holt come in here and he's, he's probably been in the, first off, his father was a Pentecostal preacher, okay? Brother Holt's probably been in the ministry over 40 years, and he's got some stories, man. He has seen some powerful things. And he was telling, he was talking about to my wife and I, and, I, and she might have actually, because she was under his ministry before we got married, she might have seen some of this. But he was talking about times in the, when the Holy Spirit would just come in in those services there, and he said that there were times that everybody there had been worshiping and everybody was standing, and the power of God would come in so strong, he said that everybody in the building just collapsed under the power of God. 
simultaneously. And he talked about tremendous healings and miracles that he has seen and, and just amazing things. I, I've got a lot of stories I could tell he's told me. But I remember just being with him not that long ago, and he's, he's pastoring, uh, not a huge congregation, but out in East Texas. And, and he was there with a smaller group on a Wednesday night, but he was teaching. And after he got toward the end of it, the Holy Spirit was just brooding, and you just feel the Holy Spirit moving. And these precious people that were there were predominantly older generation that know Pentecost, okay? They've known Pentecost. They've known the power of God. And, and as the whole, after a teaching, it wasn't like some fired-up service. It wasn't even after praise and worship, per se. Just after the teaching, the Holy Spirit began to move in that place. You could feel it. And you could hear some of those people begin to pray in the Spirit, and, and, and a message in tongues goes forth, and an interpretation. It was just electric, you know? And in that, in that type of atmosphere, Brother Holt was telling me, he said, you know, I've been asked to go speak different places. He said, you know, to be honest, he said, I really don't have a desire to go too many places anymore because of the condition of the way things are. This is what he said. I want to be right here where there is a liberty in the Holy Spirit to move. And in that place, on those Wednesday night services, just after teaching, not, he said that there's been times the Holy Spirit would just blow in and there would be a word that somebody's being healed and they've, they've laid hands and there's been major healings and miracles that have happened right there in the presence of God. So I thank God for Pentecost. I thank God for Book of Acts Christianity. I've never backed away from it. I'm not interested in, the, in whatever the, the world says is cool, okay? I'm not interested in passing fads. Um, I want the presence of God. I want to see Book of Acts Christianity right now in our generation. I know we have seen it, and I'm just telling you, River of Life, and I, and I mean this. You can write this down. You can uh, put a date on it, put it in your Bible, and pull it out later when it happens. We haven't seen what we're about to see. It's going to increase a lot in the days to come. God's going to move with much greater anointing and power than we've ever seen. So what I want to talk about tonight is, I don't know how to explain this. I called it old school Pentecostal fire. But I'm going to talk about the carnal man and I'm going to talk about the worldly man versus the spiritual man, okay? And by the end of this sermon, if you follow me, by God's grace and mercy, all of this will come together at the end. I, I promise it will, and it will make sense. But I feel like I have to deal with this because here we are with the heavens trying to brass over our nation. And, and we're dealing with some very high-level, strong, satanic, like bull demons is the, the phrase a lot of times that's used. Principalities, high-ranking fallen angels that are powerful, trying to set up thrones over this nation to a degree to lock things up. And you can feel it. It's trying to happen. And you can feel that more and more, the generation that we're living in, there's a blinding of the minds of the unbelievers, even to a degree of some church-going people that are deceived and blinded in accepting things that God rejects and hates. And so there's this major war over our nation in the heavens and over souls. And here we see a lot of places are just playing church. We're supposed to be God's military 
behind enemy lines. We're supposed to be a place of tremendous authority and power to push back hell's forces and to plunder hell, to populate heaven, to plunder uh, all these people that are going to hell, to see them. Reinhard Bonnke used to say, to hell with the devil, but to heaven with the people. Reinhardt had a way of keeping it simple, didn't he? And so it's like to plunder hell's goods, to see all these people saved. I'm going to tell you, it is a war. And Steve Hill told me, it was just the two of us in his office. And he said, let me tell you, he, he was going to pray. For, he prayed for me. He gave me a lot of advice. We talked for a long time. But one of the things he told me was, he said, let me tell you, Satan is not going to sit back and let you take a bunch of his little soldiers from him and not put up a fight. He said, you remember that it is a war over souls. And you better believe it is. <clears throat> so tonight I'm going to deal first with the carnal man versus the spiritual man. See, God is a triune being. We know he is Father, Son, and Spirit. I can't dwell on this. I'm assuming that people know A, B, and C, so now I'm dealing with D, E, and F, okay? God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's triune. He's made us in his image. We are a triune being. There's the eternal part of us, our inner spirit. We have a soul, but we're wrapped in this physical body that's temporary. And so we're a triune being ourselves. But as I go, I'm going to explain some things. But see, when Adam sinned, Adam ate the forbidden fruit, and it went where? Into his flesh, you see. And that flesh is where the curse is. That flesh is where the sin nature is, and the body is under a curse that now it's aging and it's dying, and it's going to go back to the dust from where it came from. And when we accept Christ as our Savior and we're born again, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit, he comes into our inner spirit man. Now, your inner spirit is eternal. It'll never die. It's just going to change location. But your inner spirit is, if you're a true born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in that inner man. And your inner spirit is just like your physical body, except it's a spirit body. So your inner man has eyes to see, ears to hear, a mouth to taste. There's a, a, you can, your inner man has a nose to smell. Your inner man also has the ability to feel. And that's why some that are discerning, when you get around things that are dark and evil, you feel uncomfortable in your spirit. It's not your body that feels a thing. It's your spirit. It's troubled, you see. Because your inner spirit is just like your body, except it's, spirit, it's a spirit body. And you're, you have a soul. That soul area is your mind the realm of you that learns your intellect when you were going to school, the teacher got up there, two plus two is four. You say, oh, I see that when you're a kid, but that's your mind that sees and comprehends and understands that intellect. And in that, you have an imagination. If you close your eyes and I say red apple, you're going to envision a red apple. That's your imagination. Also, your memory, all the things you remember. Your also, your soul is, is emotional. You have, you have emotions in your soul, and it basically your soul makes up your personality. So you have a spirit body, 
and you have a soul, which is your personality, who you are, that is eternal. It will never die. And eventually, in Christ, eventually, you're going to be given a glorified body that will never die as well. But right now, your physical body is aging and will go back to the dust. So while we're living this earth, on this earth right now, in Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are to walk in the Spirit and not carry out the lust of the flesh. So you live in this battleground between the Spirit within you wanting to do right because the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. Your inner spirit has the nature of God. Your, in, your inner spirit, whenever you sin, you feel convicted in there, don't you? See, that Holy Spirit in your spirit, man, is the part of you that has been reborn and the, the nature of God dwells in there. But your flesh is still connected to Adam's sin. And so there's a remedy. The Bible says that we are to be crucified with Christ. You see, the Bible, by the power of God, he helps us that we literally, it's a real thing here. You literally can die to your flesh and you can walk according to the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, okay? So what I'm gonna talk about here is in the church world, the carnal fleshly man versus the spiritual man. And let me say this. I hope everybody hears what I'm saying. They are mutually exclusive and they are at odds with each other. Basically, either you're going to be somebody that's of the flesh or you're going to be somebody that's of the spirit, but you will not be able to be both at the same time. Did y'all catch that? They are mutually exclusive because your fleshly nature is sinful, but the Spirit of God in you and that spiritual nature is pure. They are mutually exclusive from each other, and they are at odds with each other. There's a battleground there. And so let me read some of this, and this is so important what I'm sharing. It's a little bit deep. But we need this type of preaching. We desperately need it, especially in this generation. And I believe by the time I get done with this sermon, it's going to make a lot more sense as to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So Galatians 1.10, it says, Paul said, Am I now seeking favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Do you see that? Because it plays into where I'm going tonight. Either we're going to be a people pleaser or we're going to be a God pleaser, but you can't be both. They're mutually exclusive from each other and they are at odds with each other. You're going to be one or the other. You will not be able to do both. And so that's connected to where I'm going. So let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this chapter and explain it. Paul said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. And so let me tell you why Paul came like this, because he had just been in Athens. And anybody that's familiar with the book of Acts, Paul, when he went into Athens, he was surrounded by a bunch of Greeks that were very intellectual. They were a bunch of philosophical people. They're sitting around trying to ponder the universe. And so Paul goes in among them, and he decides, I'm going to try to witness to these people. So he finds an altar to the unknown God, and he begins to try to persuade them intellectually, even quoting some of their philosophers, which he said that some of your people say, in him we live and move and have our being. So he was using almost like a philosophy uh, perspective. He was coming with intellectual persuasive words and, and trying to use the wisdom of man somehow to connect with these people. But guess what happened? They laughed him to scorn. And as far as I know, he didn't win one convert. And so when Paul left there, he basically came to the Corinthians and he said, you know what? I'm not coming now with persuasive or human wisdom, or with fancy speech and words, trying to debate, trying to, to persuade you. He said, no, no, I'm coming just to preach Christ and him crucified, a simple message in the power of the Spirit of God. And so Paul learned something there. And he goes on to say this, though. He also said in verse 6, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, yeah, I'm sorry, yet we do speak a wisdom among those that are mature. So Paul was saying here, first off, that there is a wisdom of this world. How many knows that there's a wisdom out there? You know, the, the scientists, the way the politicians present things, there is a worldly wisdom that makes sense to the world. And Paul said, I'm not coming with that type of wisdom. I'm coming to preach to you Christ and him crucified, a simple message in the power of the Spirit. But then he goes on to say, yet I do have wisdom of the Spirit. In other words, there is a godly wisdom, a wisdom from the Holy Spirit, a wisdom, he says in verse 6, that is not of this age. It's not of this world. Nor is it of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we do speak God's wisdom in a mystery, a hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul is saying here there's a worldly wisdom. But he said, here's the thing, though. There is a spiritual wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. So important that everybody really grab hold of this. It is a wisdom that the world does not understand. He said it is a wisdom that comes as a mystery. Everybody say mystery. It is a hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, a wisdom that the world, the rulers of this world and the world do not understand. And then he goes on to say, things which eye has not seen nor ear has heard, which has not entered the human heart, 
all that God has prepared for those that love him. But verse 10, he says, but to us that are in Christ, God has revealed this wisdom he's talking about. God has revealed this mystery, this wisdom, this understanding through the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher. Jesus said, it's better that I go because I will send you the comforter and he will lead you in all truth. He's our teacher, our guide, our counselor. And so the Holy Spirit, the Bible goes on to say, <clears throat> Paul said to the Corinthian church in verse 10 here, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God, for who among the people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit in that person? So in other words, I've, it's funny because when you preach sometimes, you, I've preached a lot of different places, and I, you see people's countenances, the expressions on their face, and sometimes you think to yourself in passing, man, they don't look like they're receptive at all. In fact, it looks like maybe they're sucking on a lemon. But then they come up to you after the service and say, oh, brother, thank you so much. That helped me. You never know what's going on inside a person. See, that's what Paul's saying. Who knows what's going on in somebody except their own spirit within them, right? So he says, for among those thoughts of a person except the spirit that's in that person, then he says, also, who knows the thoughts of God? No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one. You know, we can think that we know what God's thinking, but we don't. But the Holy Spirit knows. In verse 12, now we have not received, this is so important. I really want you to get this. We, Paul says, we have not received the spirit of this world. How many knows there is a spirit of the world? The Bible says it, it's clear. But we've received what? The spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we may know things truly that's freely given to us by God. So there is a spirit of this world, and you see it in different realms. I'll give you in passing some examples, but in our educational system, why is it that, that the educational system has a problem with the name of Jesus in the Bible? It's an antichrist type of thing, see? You see it in the political realm where they're booing God, and they, they want to pass legislation that is against the things that God is for, and for the things God is against. And you see it in society. You see it in the entertainment industry. There's so much, you know, nudity and perversion. And you see it in, in movies and television and even targeting little children. So much witchcraft and the occult, etc. But there's a spirit of the world. And we don't, we're not given the spirit of the world in Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit but there's still a spirit of the world that's out there that we need to be aware of. And I think by the end of this, you're going to see that some Christians still are in bondage to the spirit of the world, and they shouldn't be. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But Paul said that we are not given the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 13, we also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, 
combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. How many knows that by the Holy Spirit, I can get up here and I can talk about things to you as Christians? Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, and by the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. But the people of this world, it goes right over their heads. They don't even understand it because it takes the Holy Spirit to understand the things of God and especially understand the deep things of God. Paul said the Holy Spirit gives us mysteries, things that are hidden from the world. You know what mysteries are? They're hidden from the world, but they're revealed to us. How do we have divine revelation in our lives? By the Holy Spirit. He reveals to us the deeper things of God. Verse 14, but the natural person, this is the carnal person, those that are under the curse, those that are Adam's descendants that have their sin nature. See, those that are lost out there, they still have that Adamic sin nature that rules their life. Their minds are incarcerated. They're blinded by, by Satan's kingdom. Their inner spirit within them is dead. And they don't understand the things of God. If you try to talk to them about spiritual things, they cannot understand it. But yet those of us that have been born again, you see what's supposed to happen is the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit. And I'm, again, I'm getting ahead of myself but our inner man begins to be developed and strengthened where we can be more discerning and understanding. And, it, and that life of God works its way into our soul area and our mind is renewed and we understand the things that the world does not understand. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. How many would attest to that? The world mocks the things of God because to them it's foolishness. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the one who is spiritual, that's talking about that we've grown up in Christ, we've developed. The one who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And in this letter from Paul, there's no chapters. It just keeps going, okay? So as you go to chapter 3, continuing the thought, it says, Paul says to the Corinthians, and I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people. He's rebuking them here. But only as carnal, that's fleshly. As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You were not able to consume it. And even now you're not able, for you are still carnal. Now I want everybody to get what I'm saying. I'm going slow enough that I really want to make this point. The Apostle Paul, and I'm going to show you other places in Scripture, it was a very negative thing here that he says that they are still carnal. That's very clear. He's saying that you're still people of the flesh. You are still infants. I wish, that, if I could paraphrase this right here, Paul's saying, I wish that I could talk to you about deep things, but you can't handle it. I still have to give you baby food, milk, because you're still fleshly, carnal people that don't understand the deep things of God. 
And this is something that Paul is saying uh, that is a negative thing toward them. And the reason I'm making that point is because in today's church world, it's almost like it's a positive thing. And I'm going to get to that here in a moment. But Romans 8.14, how many knows that we've got to grow up in Christ? We've got to. We're living in a time now that, that we're going to have to develop and grow up in the Lord and mature because even now, I'll give you an example, even right now, when a pandemic comes, most of Christendom in America handled it no differently than the world. There was no distinguishing. There was no faith. There was no power. There was, there was nothing there to drive that thing out and keep it off the people in a lot of places. Yet, I do know that there are places still, like us, out there that... that would keep that off and out and all of that and have authority and pray and believe God and all of that. There is a remnant, but by and large, most of Christendom handled it the same as the world. What I'm saying is, you remember when Jesus was talking to, he was referring to the nation of Israel, and he said, woe to those who are nursing infants. And he was talking about when the Antichrist uh, releases his Holocaust midway through the tribulation, and Israel has to take flight. I understand that. But many times there's layers of revelation here. I wonder if Jesus also wasn't saying to churches in the last days, woe to those that are still nursing babes. Because they're not going to be able to handle what's coming upon the earth. How many knows that we've got to have faith? And we've got to have a walk with God that has some substance to it, that we know him. And we know his voice. We know his leading. Romans 8, 14. For all who, this is what the Greek portrays. Romans 8, 14. For all who are continually being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Sonship implies maturity. So what he's saying here is the maturity is those that have learned to be led continually by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you that it can be a matter of life and death sometimes. Because in life, there can be things that come that are very severe. Sometimes it is literally life-threatening. And people that don't know the Lord, and what I mean is they don't have a relationship where they hear from God. They don't know how to be led by the Spirit. Sometimes... They're in danger of taking a left turn when the Lord is saying, no, 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 take a right turn. And that right turn could have actually saved their life, physically saved their life. But they don't know how to hear from God and be led by the Spirit. They've never matured and grown up in Christ. They're still infants. Hebrews 5, starting with verse 11 is it okay I'm talking like this, guys? I promise you're not going to hear this too many places anymore. Thank you all for standing with these type of sermons because it's helping a lot of people through these podcasts out here. But Hebrews 5.11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain. Look at this. Since you have become poor listeners, how many knows that I want to have eyes and ears of the Spirit? I don't want to be a poor listener. Jesus used to say this, you know, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They cannot understand. I don't want to be among those that are like that. 
in the Lord, we should have eyes of the Spirit, ears of the Spirit. We should be so discerning. And he said, you become poor listeners, for though by this time, this is the writer of Hebrews rebuking those he was speaking to, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But again, you need somebody to teach you the elementary principles of the words of God, and you become in need of milk, not solid food. How many have known people down through the years that they may be 50, 60, 70 years old, they've been saved for 50 years, but spiritually speaking, they're still a crybaby wearing a diaper sucking on a bottle. <laughs> Sad but true. He says in verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is acquainted with the word of righteousness, but he's an infant. But I love this scripture, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Everybody say mature. Who because of practice, that means constant use, have their senses trained to distinguish good from evil. So your inner spirit man, you have senses to see and hear and taste and smell and feel, to discern. And it's saying here, the writer of Hebrews, that by constant use, as you get in prayer, as you pray in the Spirit, as you begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and daily you're walking with the Holy Spirit, by constant use, your inner sense, your inner senses, your inner man has been trained that you can distinguish between what's of God and what's not of God. And I'll give you a good example in Scripture. The Apostle Paul was walking through this particular city, and there was a woman who was a fortune teller following him around, screaming, these are servants of the Most High God telling you how to be saved. Most people would think that she was of God because of what she's saying. But the Apostle Paul, in his spirit, was deeply troubled and grieved because he knew that that was nothing more than a deceiving demon that was trying to worm its way in. And so he turns and he says, in the name of Jesus, come out! And that python spirit left her. But see, most people out there have never trained their inner senses and developed themselves inwardly enough to distinguish between what's of God and what's not of God. We, if we're going to grow up in Christ, we have to learn how to walk in the Spirit, that we're dead to the flesh and we're walking in the Spirit. We've got to have an inner man that is strengthened and developed. That God can speak to us. How many knows that we have got to know how to hear from God for ourselves? Now, I'm going to shift gears because I was dealing, that's the carnal man. Those that are not living according to the Spirit, they're just walking in the flesh. And Paul rebuked the Corinthians, said, you're still that way. You've accepted Christ, but you're still living according to the flesh. I wish that I could talk to you about deep revelation. I wish that I could give you some mysteries and, and really come in here with some kind of a spiritual uh, discernment and power and, and, and really talk to you about deep things God's showing me. But I've got to come in here and just share baby food with you and give you milk all over again. That's all you can handle. 
Now I'm going to shift gears and talk about the worldly man versus the spiritual man. See, the world all around us, remember there's a spirit of this world, but the world has a lot of influence if we're not careful in our minds, in our emotions. From the time we were a child growing up in school, things our parents taught us, things school teachers taught us, things that we've watched in television, friends that we've kept, advice that's been given us, etc. There's been all of this worldly influence that has tried to come into our minds and in fashion and form who we are as a person. But when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your spirit and the Holy Spirit sanctifies and begins to purify your spirit. And he begins to help us through having a prayer life that our inner spirit man begins to get developed. Our inner senses get developed and sensitive. And, and we begin to understand how to hear his voice and know his leading and to get revelation from him. But that life of God, that Holy Spirit in your spirit also begins to arise and begin to move into your soul area. And God wants your soul area to be sanctified. And now that all those things in your mind, all the, the things you've been taught that was wrong, things that were worldly, advice that was worldly wisdom, but it wasn't of God, all those things begin to be purified out of your soul area. And now your mind begins to be renewed by the word of God. You begin to think different. And now all that old pollution that was in your soul that was so worldly is getting purged out. And you become more and more heavenly minded. Your, your mind thinks differently. You see things differently. When things are happening in the world because you know the word and you know the spirit, you discern it by end time prophecy and you realize what's actually going on. And now because your soul area, your mind is renewed, when spirit, spiritual warfare is going on, other people don't have any idea what's going on, but you know there's something else behind the scenes that's trying to manipulate this. Your mind is renewed with the word. And what you've got to understand, and I've got to understand, is Satan's domain was given to him by Adam. When Adam sinned, and he became a slave to Satan, so to speak. You become a slave to the one you obey. When he basically gave his Adamic authority over to the devil, Satan set up a rebel kingdom in the second heaven. But here's what's interesting. Because of what happened, Adam ate the fruit. Where did it go? Into his flesh. What is our bodies made of? Our bodies are made from the dust of the earth. When God cursed the serpent, he said, on your belly you'll go and you'll eat what? The dust of the earth. And we know that Satan is the prince of the powers of the air. He's the little G God of this world. What I'm getting at is this. The more carnal and the more worldly that you are, the more Satan's dominion is over you. But the more that you die to your flesh, crucified with Christ, 
And the more that the world is purged out of you, Satan completely loses his grip off you. Satan feeds off the flesh and the world. How much flesh are we still walking in, guys? Think about it. How much of the world is still in us? See, I don't even keep up with things anymore. Somebody was to ask me what's the, the most popular movie out right now, I couldn't tell you. you know, what's, the, what's on the Billboard top songs today? I have no idea, and I couldn't care less. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with keeping up with sports, but I don't, I don't, I'm not even into that. As far as the world goes, I would be considered somewhat out of touch. Now, I do keep up with the news, you understand, to know what's going on. But I don't, I'm not of this world. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we've already read this, uh, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we can know the things freely given to us by God. But I wonder how much of the world is in modern Christians today. How much of the world is in local churches today? There even came a trend for a while. I never really got into it. I'm not saying I wouldn't quote somebody, but I mean, it became this trend to quote all these secular people when you're preaching sermons. Y'all remember hearing some of that? I mean, it became a big thing to quote so-and-so. Let me just say this in love. The word of God stands alone and the word of God does not, listen to me, the word does not need the world's validation. It's eternal, and it doesn't make a difference if some secular person approves of it or not, or if their quote lines up. Who cares? The word of God is eternal, and the word of God stands alone. But there's so much worldliness now in a lot of places. In this pulpit, I don't get political. You know why? That is a foul demon, man. Politics, ooh. You want you to get defiled and polluted, get mixed up in politics. I talk a little bit about it. I say what needs to be said, but this place is holy ground. This pulpit up here is holy, and I'm not going to pollute it with politics. I ain't doing it. This isn't going to become some political thing here. This, is, this church is not going to be about the latest movie or the latest band or the latest worldly thing or the latest trend. I'm not interested in what's the coolest thing going. I'm interested in the presence of God in this place. In 1 John 4, verse 1, said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out to the world. I mean, there's a lot of spirits out there, but not everything's of God. In 1 Timothy 4.10, remember the spirit of the world? Paul said this. It's so sad. He said that he had a, a, somebody that got saved under his ministry and was, was a traveling companion with Paul. And he, he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, that pull, that seduction the world had on Demas pulled him away from Christ. See, here's the thing. We've got to be crucified with Christ, dead to our flesh, and we've got to develop that inner man, but also we've got to get all of that worldliness out of us because there is a seducing pull the world has. 
I want everybody to really hear what I'm about to say. Okay, so look this way and please hear this. Derek Prince wrote this in one of his books, and I never forgot this. I want to read this quote right here. He said, I once had a problem with dealing with very nice, charismatic people. These are spirit-filled people. Most of them love me. They believe the Bible, and they were not leading openly sinful lives. But when I began to minister to them in certain areas, I found a strong, invisible force coming against me. The pressure of this force was so tremendous, it was almost physically painful. Although these people were believers, they were slow to grasp spiritual truth. And I thought to myself, what am I dealing with? And Derek Prince went on to say, God showed me the answer in 1 Corinthians 2.11. I was dealing with the spirit of the world. Even in these good people, the spirit of the world reigned in their life. They listened to this. They had little time for God and for prayer. They spent more time watching TV than reading the Bible unwilling to make any significant sacrifice, they always put their own convenience before the things of God. Wow. And so because of that, the spirit of the world was at work in their lives, and it hindered them where they had a difficult time receiving spiritual truths. The more of the world you have in you, the more difficult it's going to be to walk with God. See, we've got to think about that. You know, if you have a glass of water, there's not some kind of vacuum. I mean, there's either air or water. The more water you have in that glass, the less air. The less water, the more air. Here's the thing. The more that our soul area is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the less of the world is in there. But the more of the world that's in there, the less of the things of God are in there. Remember what I said at the beginning. These things are mutually exclusive from each other, and they are at odds with each other. You're either going to be a worldly person or you're going to be a spiritual person, but you cannot be both. And I'm concerned because I see a lot of trends. A lot of worldliness in the church today. People are caught up with what's in style, fads, decor, all these other things. The church runs primarily on programs, just like the world. There's no difference in a lot of places. Just like the world has Alcoholics Anonymous, the church has programs and programs and endless programs. I, I saw a guy on, on a particular Christian show about a week ago. And I was watching, as, as a minister of the gospel... He was, um, he was talking about mental illness. And what really bothered me was because I was listening to this for a long time. And as I was listening to, to this individual, he had so much to say about therapy. He had so much to say about using different types of medical drugs to help people mentally and emotionally. But in this whole conversation on Christian TV... I never heard this person one time talk about using the name of Jesus, prayer, the power of God to see them healed or delivered. It was only about therapy, counseling, and drugs. 
How is that not the world? In other words, there's zero difference between things like that and the, world, the way the world handles it. In many places, I don't know how many times I've said this, but it's sad. In so many places, it's, it's just a social club. It's just a gathering. It's no different than other social events in the community. Things have just become entertainment. Where's the power of God? Where's the gifts of the Spirit? Where's the conviction? I'm going to get to this by the end of this sermon. I'm going to give you some examples. But even politics in church, just like that political spirit in the world, you see there's people that get in, in churches and they're all about being in the limelight and, and somehow climbing some ladder of success to have some kind of a, a title, some kind of a pat on the back. And you see the same thing in denominations. It's all about clam, climbing ladders of success. Worldliness. Individuals in churches are trying so hard to make things cool and edgy, and, and they use the word like relevant and all that, but if you get down to it and really look at it, what they're doing is they're just simply becoming more and more like the world. And the truth is that people out there in the world, they're not looking for more worldliness. They've got plenty of that. They need to find something that's different. And you're not going to be able to win the world by becoming more worldly. The spirit of the world will never cast out the spirit of the world. See, there's a wisdom, that carnal man, a wisdom that the worldly man, that makes sense to them, yet, even though it may make sense to them, they're not going to understand the wisdom that's from God. So it's in conflict. Just like the flesh is in conflict with the Spirit. The world is at conflict with the things of the Spirit. In the same way, there's a wisdom of man that's in conflict with the wisdom that's from God. They're mutually exclusive and they're at odds. To just follow me now, I'm going to shift into wisdom. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. See, again, you see that it's looking down upon the, the immaturity, the babes here. But he says, yet in regards to evil, be as infants, be pure in regards to evil. But in your thinking, be mature. The law it is written... By men of strange tongues and lips of strangers, I will speak to my people. Even so, they will not listen to me. So then tongues, look at this, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. This is what concerns me, is that I'm going to do my best to try to give an illustration here of what I'm talking about. So let's, let me tell it this way. This is just kind of a made-up story, but it'll get the point across. Let's say there's a church that had been a spirit-filled church for years. They had had kind of a seasoned minister who knew how to pray. He knew how to preach the Word, and he was, he was anointed. It was effective, and there was powerful intercessors in that church that knew how to pray. And that church had been doing well for years. I mean, they had 
a lot of testimonies of people being healed and delivered of things and, and souls that got saved, etc. But as time went on, that older pastor had been there for years, and it became time for him to retire. And as he left, the, those that were in charge decided, well, we're going to look for somebody. And they start to look for somebody that's maybe younger and, and maybe more trendy, that, that would be more uh, youthy and, and reach out. But, you know, basically, if I could say more cool, and they would use the word relevant, they began to look for, to somebody like that, how they could make the church more that way. And, you know, maybe there's some things about that that are necessary. But a young, they hire in this young guy. And nothing against age, but this young guy doesn't really understand the things of the Spirit. He wasn't taught it in Bible school. He doesn't really know how to pray. He doesn't know how to operate in the gifts. He himself does not really uh, have that depth, that seasoned walk with God yet. And so he comes in and he's seeing things through a, a mindset that's carnal and worldly. And how are we going to build this thing? How are we going to grow? And so in the particular service, the Holy Spirit begins to move in the worship. And some of, some of the powerful intercessors that had been there all those years, that their prayers, their intercession was basically what was keeping that church, the, the power of God working was the power of their prayers. And that old pastor knew that. He knew how important it was to have those intercessors praying. The intercessors began to turn around and kneel in their pews, etc., and they began to pray in the Spirit. They began to groan and travail. The Holy Spirit's using them. And that church had had that for so many years, a depth in prayer. I mean, now this young man that doesn't really understand the depth of the Spirit of God walks over and puts his hand on one of them and says, you know, we don't need that anymore in this church. There's visitors that might come in that wouldn't understand. You know, just, we don't need that anymore. It goes to the next one says the same thing, basically shutting down the intercession. Instead, now, the fiery preaching, he's consumed with, how are we going to get the decor a certain way? How are we going to get the smoke and lights a certain way? We need to get things projected up on screens. And now the focus becomes about all these other things. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In the same way, just as tongues are a sign for the unbeliever, this young pastor would walk through and say, well, the Holy Spirit begins to move, and there's a message in tongues interpretation. But he goes to those people and says, you know, we don't need those type of things anymore. If you feel that that is, is to happen, you need to go to a back room somewhere. Again, there may be people that come that won't understand. How many knows the Bible says tongues are a sign to the unbeliever? Here's what's concerning to me. The church has been a lot of places, not everywhere. God still has a remnant. But a lot of places, they have now committees and people that sit around and talk about how are we going to build something? How are we going to get people coming? And they begin to strategize on what to preach, not to preach, how the decor should be, how the service should be run. And everything is built like business principles. You basically give people what they want and they'll come. How is this not becoming completely and totally 
given over to the world and the spirit of the world. Little wonder some of these very places have begun to slip into all these other things like the, the alcohol and the, all the worldliness, the worldly music and the worldly entertainment, all these other things that come with the world. This same young man may walk through and see the Holy Spirit moving, some of the altar workers that had prayed there for years, people being hit by the power of God, falling down, shaking. He goes up and says, you know, we don't need that anymore. You see, it's shutting down everything to do with the things of the Spirit. There is a wisdom of the world. It has to do with the carnal man in this fallen world. There is a wisdom that, that is there, but it's not of God. But yet, there is a wisdom from God that seems foolish to the world. And it seems foolish to spiritual infants. But the Bible says, unless the Lord build the house, then that labor, labor in vain. Are y'all following me tonight? See, what I'm concerned is, is that there's been something lost in the last about 20 years. There's been something that's been lost. You know, if you were to have a relative that you weren't even necessarily aware of their, that you didn't even know you had this relative, but they passed away, and all of a sudden you're contacted by all these lawyers and people that searched you out and they found you, and this person's estate was worth $1.5 million dollars, it was not only in actual finances, but it was in an estate and belongings and all of that that could either be liquidated or whatever, but it totaled $1.5 million. It was left to you. That's something of value. But how would you feel if somebody somehow wormed their way in and found a loophole and ended up taking $1.5 from you, and you ended up not receiving that inheritance that was rightfully yours? How much more valuable is this heritage of the things of God that's being lost in the church today than money? It's a lost inheritance. In Mark 16, 17, these signs will follow them that believe. Jesus said, in my name, they will cast out demons. I've seen many, many, many times my wife and I have cast out demons out of many people. But let me tell you, that's the first major miracle. Jesus Christ was casting a demon out of somebody. We need the deliverance ministry today like we've never needed it. We need the power of God to see people set free. And then he goes on to say, not only will they cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues. We need the baptism in the Holy Ghost today with speaking in tongues like we never have. To be clothed with power. He goes on to say they'll pick up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. You know what that is? Supernatural protection. And that actually happened to Paul on the Isle of Malta. He was there ministering and they built a fire and this poisonous snake jumped out and bit him on the hand. And he shook the snake off in the fire and all the people there that were very superstitious were saying, man, this guy must have really been an evil guy. Because even though they shipwrecked and got here, God made sure that that snake bit him. But you know what? They watched him, waited for him to swell up and die, and nothing happened. 
And so these same superstitious people start talking the other direction. They're saying, well, this guy must be some kind of God or something, you know. <laughs> but Paul used that opportunity to be able to witness to them. And then they took him to one of their leaders who was sick. Paul prays for him. He's healed. Basically, the gospel advanced there in Malta. Supernatural protection. How many knows that we're living at a time when we need supernatural protection? And the thing about poison, that was the way that people would assassinate others during this time. They would poison them. So God was saying, Jesus was saying here to us that we will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, we will be supernaturally protected, and we will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Many, many, many times I've seen people healed. See, whether we pray or other people pray, I have so many testimonies of supernatural healing. When people come, they don't need to be entertained. They don't need more worldliness. They need an encounter with the power of God. That's why Paul said, I'm not coming with eloquent words and persuasive things. I'm not coming here to try to debate you or intellectually um, stimulate your intellect or, or manipulate your emotions. No, I'm coming in the power of God so that your faith won't rest in men, but it will rest in God and in his power. So let me just kind of close with this. I'm going to give you some things I believe the early Pentecostals had that has somewhat been lost. And it's very concerning. See, in today's world, this is, this is not an exaggeration. I'm using one example, but across the board, I think this is pretty accurate in a lot of places. A lot of the larger type of churches that today in this generation here in Dallas, but around the nation. A lot of these have gone more of what's called seeker-friendly, and I agree that there's probably some things that are okay with, you know, uh, being in style, being up-to-date, and all of that. I understand that. And I understand having a heart to, to reach out to people and get people to come and all of that. But the problem is, is that the focus is all wrong. Just let me give you an example. In a typical service in a lot of places, you come in, it's, it's a beautiful place, it's very fancy. People will come in and they'll begin a worship, it'll be cutting edge, latest worship songs, usually two or three songs. Not long worship at all. And whenever there's sincere believers there worshiping, you might sense a little bit of God's presence there. But the songs are just right. Everything's meticulous. It's perfect. It's, it's a good show. It's entertaining to a degree. And yes, some people are worshiping. But again, a couple songs are sung. Somebody will get up and do the announcements. A minister will get up and give a very short little sermonette. It's very positive. Sometimes it's not much more than a motivational speech. It's usually not deep. And he'll give a little sermonette. And then if it's a spirit-filled place, they'll say, well, if you want prayer, you can come down. And what that means is, is that they'll have some people down there in the front. You go down, and they'll join hands with you in a circle and just pray a little prayer, and then you go home. And all of this happens within around an hour. 
There's a lot of good programs, and I'm not saying that they're wrong. There's a lot of good things for kids. There's a lot of fun activities. There's a lot of things to get involved with. But in many ways, it's a facade. Because let me just ask the question, when's the last time in those places that you saw the actual power of God displayed publicly? Where somebody was sick and they were miraculously healed? Where somebody, there was a demonic thing left somebody? Where the gifts were in operation? You see, they want to do away with that because why? That's the carnal wisdom, that's the worldly wisdom. But it's at odds with God's wisdom. Now, let me flip this over to the early spirit-filled churches, early Pentecostal churches. Even what I grew up around, I remember um, out in the more East Texas area growing up in Pentecostal churches, and I remember some of these things. So in the early Pentecostal churches, people would come. Throughout the week, intercessors would come into the church. They would pray during the week. They were praying for the pastor. They were praying for the services, and these intercessors knew how to pray. They knew how to get in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit and groan and travail and pray in the purposes of God that Satan's plans were canceled and God's purposes were coming forth. They knew how to pray. And the pastor and the leadership, they really respected that. During the week, there might be prayer meetings that, that elders and leaders are coming to. They're praying. They come in to church. The worship starts. There's a presence of God in the worship. The pastor gets up, preaches a message that he feels like God gave him. He begins to really preach the Word of God. But you understand, it wasn't something that was some kind of a motivational speech or something that was to tickle the ears. I mean, there was a conviction on it. How many knows that we need the Word of the Lord, and the Word of the Lord is going to convict? And so he's preaching the Word. He's preaching a fiery message, and in that, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. And so at the end of the message, people start coming down to the altars. And you can look, if you look close at the altar area, you see the carpet, you see the altar has been stained over the years with tears as people prayed to get things right with God. They came down and they lingered there for a while, repenting, making sure things were right with God. And maybe the Holy Spirit would really begin to move in the altar time. And these people, because they're not people of the flesh, they're people of the Spirit, they began to linger and tarry in the altar. Pretty soon, those that maybe had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit began to come up to the front, and some of the others would pray. And pretty soon, you'd hear them begin to speak in tongues and cry. Others might get hit by the power of God and fall out. And, and pretty soon, the service lingered well beyond lunchtime. People go home. But yet, as, as a family comes in for a Sunday night service, there's already people there that are walking the aisles, praying in the Spirit, trying to prepare things for that night. Others are kneeled in their pews or down in the altars praying. They're believing God for a mighty move of the Spirit. Do you see the difference? So here's some things. Early Pentecostals understood to reverence the sanctuary. They understood that when you came into a sanctuary, it was a holy place where God's presence was, that you needed to treat it as such. Now, 
It's referred to in many places as an auditorium. It's entertainment-based. There's all kinds of things in there that grieve the Holy Spirit, ungodly conversations. There's no difference in some places with the way people dress at church as they would dress if they were in a bar or a club. There's no difference in the conversations. And it's just, it's not reverenced. It's not respected as a holy place. Are y'all hearing me? Number two, the early Pentecostals understood a holy fear of God. How I many of you guys understand the fear of God in River of Life? I love the Lord, and I know that I'm right with Him. And in that respect, I'm not like living in some kind of terror that I'm going to go to hell. But I still have a very holy respect and a reverence and a fear that if I was to go out of here and get in sin, you better believe that God's not playing around. And yes, I could fall away, and yes, I could end up in hell if I was stupid enough to do so. And so there's this holy fear there that I know that God's a holy God, and he hates sin, and he's not going to put up with it. These early Pentecostals not only understood a holy fear of God, they understood fiery sermons against sin. Number three. Early Pentecostals understood holiness in their life. They understood that when they went to work throughout the week, that a true Christian would dress different, talk different, act different. True Christians were not involved in the coarse language and the, the ungodly jokes and the foul language that was going on. They weren't around that. They understood that true Christians were holy and set apart unto God and that people would see them and they would see somebody that looked different, that acted different. They would start talking about some of the ungodly stuff that maybe they watch or listen to or whatever, and the Christian over here didn't really have any interest and maybe didn't even know what they were talking about because that wasn't what was going on in his life. They were totally different than the world. And the world knew it. The world saw it. Nowadays, I'm concerned that there's very little difference between some people that call themselves Christians in the world. As a matter of fact, the world would look at them and see basically no difference whatsoever. The way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk, the things that they watch and listen to, the places they go, the company they keep, there's no difference. Number four, early Pentecostals understood that God was using those intercessors. I'm going to tell you, it's concerned me very deeply to hear so many people come through here and tell me that they've traveled the nation and they, they don't hear this type of intercession and prayer anywhere they go. What has happened to it? I've talked to others that's grown up in Pentecost. And I mean, I can ask them, I say, hey, don't you remember the powerful prayers and intercessions? And they say, oh, yeah, all the time. You guys heard Brother Ralph when he was up here preaching? He was saying he grew up in church. His family wasn't really uh, living for the Lord like they should. But he grew up around it in, in Pentecost, and he said he'd come in and hear those intercessors. Remember that? He talked about That was common. Here's the thing. Where did that go? You wonder why there's, there's so many churches are powerless? 
because they're prayerless. A powerful Christian is a praying Christian. A powerful church is a praying church. The next point is the early Pentecostals made room for the move of the Holy Spirit and the gifts. They made room. Are y'all hearing me? They made room for the moving of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They did not regulate it to some back room. They weren't ashamed of it. They loved the Holy Spirit. They loved His activity. They loved the gifts. Also, early Pentecostal churches, they have powerful altar calls for repentance, as I already talked about. People will come down and get things right with God. What in the world is going on in a lot of places? There was one pastor of a very large church, and Steve Hill was telling me this himself. He knew the guy. He was talking to the guy, and Steve asked him, said, ma'am, if there was a, a suicide bomber that came into that church and blew up that church, how many people do you think would go to heaven? And that pastor stood there for a moment and said, well, maybe half. And Steve said, well, my God, man, you better do something about it. And Steve got angry one time, but he was saying he was up there giving altar calls for people to come down and get right with God. And there was a couple there that had been in church, another church for years, and they came down to get saved, and they realized that they had been shacked up living together, having sex outside of marriage. They realized it was wrong, and they repented and got things right with God. And Brother Steve told me, he said, man, they had been going to another church for years and had no idea it was even wrong. Are y'all hearing me? Where's those powerful altar calls? Listen, if you got half the people not even saved, your ministry from God's perspective is a failure. You may have a big church, but in God's eyes, you're a failure. They knew how to tarry in the altars and pray through. I remember this as a kid. People linger in those altars and pray, and they would pray all the way through. I remember a very a, a gentleman that was quite elderly, had been a pastor for 50 years. And he was telling me, he said, let me, he was telling me a couple things. He said, Scott, he said, the thing is, people a lot of times don't know really what the anointing of the Holy Ghost is anymore. He said, you know, there's a lot of excitement that's in music. He said, you can get some really good music going up there, and, and it sounds good, and people get all into it, and the energy that's in that music, and they think that it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it's not. It's just the energy of the music. He also told me, he said, look, early, early on, early Pentecostals understood being down in the altars, and they understood that when somebody accepted Jesus as their Savior, that they had all kinds of junk in them. He said they didn't just say some little quick prayer and let them go. They sit there and pray with them for a while. He said those people would really repent of their sin. And he said because they stayed in that altar and they really deeply repented, he said a lot of that junk was taken out of them right there so that they could start living a victorious life. He said, now in a lot of places, people say some quick little prayer and go on, and they go back to the same basic life they were living before. I 
I'm preaching like this because I believe with all my heart, revival's about to slam this nation. I believe revival's about to come. I do. It's going to hit right here in River of Life. And you know what? What has been despised by the religious and despised by the world is about God's about to, like, raise up a move of God where the things of God are going to be honored again. The holy things of God are going to be honored again. And people are going to want to hear things like this again. See, right now, this isn't popular in a lot of places. And that's because of the worldliness and the carnality and the backsliddenness. Also, early Pentecostals understood when God was moving, they understood to have extended meetings. Benny Baker made me laugh. He was, he was dead serious. And he was telling me, he said, Pastor, he said, a lot of places out there, he said, I've been all over this nation. He said, a lot of places out there, he said, I'm convinced that if the special speaker that Sunday morning was Jesus Christ himself, and he was up there preaching, then when it struck noon, they'd be marching right out the back door with their family. <laughs> we, can, we can laugh, but that is, that is true, and it's sad. The early Pentecostals understood if the Holy Ghost was moving, you just hung, you just hung around. You know, they were people of the spirit, not people of the flesh. See, people that are fleshly, all they're thinking about is their gut. They want to go eat. Let me promise you, your ribs are not going to cave in, and you're not going to die because it's 1201. Amen? <laughs> but these were also people that prayed and understood fasting. You know, that you remember that the apostle Paul rebuked the church, and he said um, their God is their stomach? You remember that scripture? You see, a lot of people have never learned how to really die to the flesh and to be a people of prayer, to be a people that fast. But they understood about having extended meetings. Back then, they, if the Holy Spirit was really moving, they would come in Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. They would have extended meetings through the week, and sometimes that it would go for several weeks, six to eight weeks. And you know what? People came because people were hungry for God. I was so encouraged. I, I'd been getting to where just a little weary, and to have Brother Ralph and his group come, Brother John and others coming in here that were so hungry for God, it was so refreshing. The early Pentecostals understood dying to the flesh. They understood that we're not of this world. And let me, let me close with this story about how dangerous it is. We've got to learn to be a people of the Spirit. We've got to learn to be a people that our inner spirit man has been developed. We're dead to the flesh. Some people may not care for what I'm about to say, but I believe it's scriptural. There's access to the throne of God in Christ, but the access to the throne of God is being crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised to new life in Christ. That gives access. <laughs> but anyway, there's this story. I love this. I saw this. It was actually a secular program with this precious Christian woman giving this testimony. So every day she would sit out on her porch and she would have a time where she prayed. She read the word. She was a woman of prayer. 
And because of being a woman of prayer, a woman of the Spirit, she developed a relationship with the Lord where God would speak to her. And she knew God's voice. She knew the difference between her own thoughts and God's voice. She knew the difference between her own emotions and God's voice. A lot of people don't. But she developed that in her inner man. And so she was praying one day, and she felt that she was a young woman. She felt it was time to start praying that God send her a husband. Now, being a woman of prayer and having faith, she prayed that God would send a husband to her front door. And um, her friends kind of teased her, church friends. They said, you know, the only guy that's going to be coming to your front door is the pizza guy. You know, are you going to marry the pizza guy? And she said, no, God's going to send somebody. Which it seemed far-fetched. But sure enough, every day she was out there praying. She would read the Word. She was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of the Spirit. One day, there was a guy who was in the military but got jogging every day. Jogged by, saw her, came up, just began to make casual conversation with her. And whenever she was talking to him, she felt the presence of God really strong. And God spoke to her again. She knew God's voice. This wasn't with the the eyes that she saw him, this wasn't with her mind, this wasn't with her emotions, this was God really speaking to her. And God told her, said, this is the man that you're to marry, this is the answer to your prayer, and God said, you will live a long life together serving me. And so in that casual conversation, she began to ask him some questions to find out, yes, he was a Christian, and they ended up falling in love and getting married. Now, what did God tell her? You'll have a long life serving me. Granted, I'm watching this on a secular program. This lady is telling it like it is. I mean, like I'm telling you. It was awesome. Well, the guy got moved because he was in the military. They moved him out of state, and she was going to pack up and join him as soon as she could. They had only been married about a week. As was his daily routine, he goes out jogging. Some car was driving. The sun was blinding him. He ended up hitting this guy at 55 miles an hour. The paramedics said he was launched approximately 60 feet and landed on his head. They rushed him to the hospital. He went from the ER to the ICU. His brain swelled, and by all accounts, according to the doctors, he was brain dead. The only thing keeping him alive was the machine. She gets there. And she's obviously very distraught. And the doctors come to her and say, look, you've got about three choices. You can leave him on life support here. That's the only thing keeping him alive. Or you can take him home on life support. Or you could pull the plug because he is an organ donor and his organs could be harvested to help other people. She began to get a lot of pressure from people to pull the plug. But the problem is, is that she had a walk with God that had been developed over time, and she had a faith, and she knew the voice of God, and she knew that God told her that you're going to live a long life together serving me, and a week wasn't a long life. And so she said, you know what, we're not going to pull the plug right now. Understand, she's getting a lot of pressure from people. The wisdom of the world 
is in conflict with the wisdom of God. Her wisdom from God looked like foolishness to them, and they were persecuting her. But she said, well, I'm not pulling the plug. So she began to go in and sit with him and lay hands and pray over him, and she began to remind God, understand, this, this is where it's life or death here. Her walk with God now mattered. That she knew how to pray, she knew how to hear from God, and she knew how to have faith. This was life or death. And she goes in there, and she's opening her Bible, she's praying, she's quoting Scripture, and she's reminding the Lord, Lord, you promised me we would live a long life together. And she would lay hands and pray over him. Again, this is on a secular show, and she's telling it like it is. They're even acting this thing out. It's awesome. And so this guy's all bandaged up. She's laying hands on him. She's praying for him. She leaves, comes back. She's doing this over and over. Pretty soon, the doctor's name coming in and out just to check on little things, start noticing he's responsive to things. She comes back from having lunch or whatever. Her dad tells her, hey, you know, their doctors are saying there's something going on. She goes in there, and she starts talking to him, and he begins to open his eyes and look at her. The doctors are astounded because they basically, and I quote, one of them said, there's no possible way in the natural that this could have happened, period. There's no way. He said the only way this could have happened that he said they're calling it a miracle, and he said that's the only explanation that there is, is that it was a miracle. There's no other way. This man was brain dead. And the doctor went in there and said, sir, can you hear me? And he's like looking at him, and he says, if you can hear me, move your left hand. The guy starts moving his left hand. After a couple months of him being there, he's released. The guy makes a full recovery where there was no injuries, no damage, no brain damage, made a full recovery. And she was talking about how that they've been serving the Lord together ever since. Do you understand, though, my point in this? Yes, that's an awesome testimony. But my point in this is that if she had not had that type of walk with God, I guarantee you she would have lost her husband. Guarantee you. Even in this secular program, they're talking about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And they said, could this be like a modern-day miracle where he was basically dead by all accounts and was raised to new life by somebody praying to Jesus? And they were asking the question, is Jesus still healed today? But let me tell you, her walk with God mattered. She had to develop a prayer life, a faith, she had to develop her inner senses to discern the voice of God. And she was not swayed by her emotions. She was not swayed by what her natural eyes saw, what her natural mind was saying, what her emotions were saying, the pressures of others. She knew God. She knew what God said. And she had faith to believe him. And it raised the dead, basically. In the days to come, things that are coming upon the earth, we're going to have to have a walk with God for ourselves. We're going to have to develop our prayer life where we have a strong inner man. And how many knows Jesus said the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me? We're going to have to make sure that we don't have any worldliness in us. 
that we're not a people of the flesh, we're a people of the spirit. We're not a worldly people, we're a sanctified people unto God, that we know our God and we have faith in him and we know how to pray. So, Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this word tonight. I bless you, and I thank you, Lord, for everything that comes in and through it, that your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure why.